Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Prognotes. Hope everyone had a great holiday. This is episode 52, and my name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And we are listening to What If by the Dixie Dregs. If this is your first time listening to our show, welcome. We like to talk about progressive rock music, a fun, exciting, unique subgenre of rock music. And each episode, we dedicate our time to talk about albums from all over the world. And if you aren't familiar with us, or maybe you just haven't checked us out extensively, we also have some other fun things going on, like our other podcast called Spotlight, Discord server, our Patreon. You can find all of this at linktree.com slash prognotes. Lastly, we always want to say thank you to our patrons for helping us continue to create these episodes. I want to give a special shout out to one of our patrons, Rekindle the Dawn, for being such an incredible patron, moderator for our Discord, and he's also been a uh, frequent musician in our our Discord covers. So be sure that you stick around until the end of the episode to know which album we will be doing for episode 53. And I said a minute ago that I hope everybody had a great holiday, Drew, but I don't know if I'm having a good holiday because the holidays have not technically happened at the time of this episode it being hasn't recorded happened yet. So for us, yeah. So hopefully I'm not lying. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Well, I guess no, I'll let you still everybody hope know. that people had that's, a good holiday. Yes. Yeah, that's true. You're I do hope that everybody that will have a good holiday. Have it. By that, the time that this is released, they would have a good holiday. Yeah, you you have your hope is timeless. My hope's timeless. What if what if is the second studio album, but the third release by the Dixie Dregs released in March of 1978. The members of the group include Steve Morse on guitar and banjo, Mark Parrish on keyboards, Alan Sloan on violin and viola, Andy West on bass guitar, and Rod Morgenstein on drums. So Steve Morse uh, may sound like a familiar name. Was he a familiar name to you, Drew, when his I name had came heard, up? I had heard of the name. Yes. Yeah, I, and I was the same way. I was like, I know this guy from somewhere. I don't know what, though. Um, he's had a pretty good career, this guy, <laughs> starting out with the Dixie Dregs. He had a decent solo career going back in the 1980s, was in Kansas for yes. a bit. He joined Deep Purple in the 90s. And then more recently, he's in the American supergroup Flying Colors with okay, yeah. Mike Portnoy. Yep. So callbacks to episode 51 with Sfam if you haven't heard that. Founding member and bassist Andy West, get this, used to work for Pearson, the education company. No way. Yeah, 100%. No way. Yeah, 100%. He's actually been uh, in the software industry for a long time. How do I know this? I found him on LinkedIn. You're making this up. I'm dead serious. He was like VP of something. He's worked on like all kinds of different software companies. Could be a totally different Andy West could be a different Andy West. Are you sure it's the no, same Andy West? It's the same guy. Same guy. I found his uh, Wikipedia page, and then I found yeah. his picture, and then I found the picture on LinkedIn. Well, the guys, we'll get into it. The guy's a phenomenal bass player. Yeah, he's insane. He's insane. So, um, Rod Morgenstein, just some interesting facts on the band members here, uh, worked for 20 years teaching percussion at Berkeley in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. Right? That tracks. He's toured with the heavy metal band Winger. And I don't, I, every time I say that, I just always think of, like, what if Jeff Winger Jeff had Winger. a band? Yeah. Like, it's just Winger. I don't know. From and community. Rod Morgenstein was the ba- or the drummer for, anyway. Shut up, Leonard. I heard about your prescription socks. Um, he played in a band called Jazz is Dead, a Grateful Dead cover band that interprets Grateful Dead songs with jazz influences. That's really How neat. about that? That's really okay? cool. Get this. 
he replaced Billy Cobham in the band. So like he was the replacement for Billy Cobham in 1999. That dude's insane. And so it also kind of reminds me of the uh, the Crimson Jazz Trio with uh, Jody Nardone. Have you heard that? Uh, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, the, the the Crimson Jazz Trio. They they did the same thing. They took King Crimson songs and then interpreted them and then to into uh, jazz tracks. They're incredible. Yeah. Oh, they have like two volumes. They're amazing. Anyway, um, Rod also has an album called, and I sent this to you, called the Rudess Morgenstein Project in 1997. Right with Jordan Rudess. This is super interesting. It came out. This album came out after a power outage during a Dixie Dregs concert that caused all of the Dregs instruments to fail except Jordan's. So he and Rod improvised until power was restored and the concert could continue. Quote, the chemistry between them was so strong that they decided to make their own album and subsequent tour. And I could not find the album anywhere except YouTube. So, but it does sound pretty 90s. I'll tell you that much. Shoot. Um, like 90s prog yeah it was it kind of reminds me of the the sounds of of uh images and words oh, uh, to a certain degree no. yeah um no, the drums no. don't sound that bad but it's like very stadium bombastic yeah kind of sound. Yeah, 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 yeah 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 so uh but still yeah, that's a really cool like anecdote story. Yeah, yeah because yeah, cool story. how neat is that where it's like out of this you know fluke kind of yeah, uh, you know, an unfortunate event of of you know everything going down. Everyone's here to see a band, and you know all the you know instruments go out except those two. But yeah, they just it worked. And afterwards, they were like, "Dude, we got to make a record. Let's like, do a record. Is, let's let's it do was like this." Fifty man. minutes, like the record's like fifty minutes long. I think yeah. there's a bootleg release of it that you can find somewhere as well. And um, again, you're, we're starting to see a lot of uh, Dream Theater ties just right off the bat. Jordan Rudess, right? Steve Morris playing with flying colors. There are ties. There are ties. Yes. So um, anyway, yeah, you can find the album on YouTube. is really interesting. Ken Scott produced the record. Yes. This, this is crazy, too. Cool story. January 18th. It's my anniversary. 1964. Scott wrote letters inquiring about recording engineer job openings and mailed them to several London recording studios. Three days later, he was contacted by Abbey Road Studios. He interviewed and was offered a position the following day. Scott began working there at the age of just 16 years old. He received the traditional Abbey Road Studio training and his first job was in the tape library. And within six months, he was promoted to the second engineer, which at the time they would just call him the button pusher. I thought that was kind of funny. They would just call him button pushers. <laughs> I don't know, that's kind of funny. It's like, what do you do for a living? I'm a button pusher. Right. That's just funny to me. Anyway. Where, get this, his very first project was Side 2 of A Hard Day's Night. Mm. That was his very first project. Yeah. And then he's gone on, he's worked with David Bowie, Supertramp, Kansas, Happy the Man, uh, Jeff Beck, Mahavishnu Orchestra, and this guy produced What If yeah. by the Dixie Dregs. So, um, anyway, long introduction. But Dixie Dregs, they're new to prog notes. We've never, we've never done anything no. by the Dixie Dregs before, so... Uh, did want to give just a bit of info on the band as a whole, just short. Um, they were formed in 1970 by Andy West and Steve Morris. The band met at the University of Miami. Uh, their music consists entirely of instrumentals except for industry standard. In 1982, uh, the band's influences range from 
the Allman Brothers to Mahavishnu Orchestra, uh, psych rock elements, prog rock, country, fusion. There's a lot of things going on, and we're going to break some of that stuff down. But uh, anyway, do we have any reviews of this record? I know this was not a, a, a I don't think this was a really big release no. for no, them. No, it wasn't. Was there, uh, was there y- yes, we do reviews have reviews, but no, this was not a big release. Um, I also just want to tack on before I do, do that real quick. You said University of Miami. I mean, I, for a while, uh, you know, and I don't know what the, the, the landscape looks like today, but University of Miami produced a lot of phenomenal musicians. So Steve Morris, Rod Morgenstein of Dixie Dregs, Terry Lavitz or T. Lavitz, who would later become their keyboardists um, yeah. for the Dixie Dregs, all attended this place. But so did Pat Metheny, if you guys, any guitarists out there. Wow. Uh, uh, Pistorius, bassist, right? Danny wow. Gottlieb who played for Pat Metheny and so did Jocko, um, you know, or played with him. So yeah, like a lot of phenomenal musicians came out of University of Miami. Um, and that's something that I found out. And my dad told me, my dad's a guitarist and he's, yeah, so he, he kind of knows. Um, but like also, I mean, just, you were talking about Steve Morris and he's had a very successful career, but there, there was a point where I think like he was, he was on top. Like he was the guitarist that people were looking to, similar to like a lot of bassists that look at Jaco Pistorius. And you're like, look, if you, you know, what's the phrase? Like, like any guitarist worth his salt was listening to Steve Morse and around the same time or around the same era, Jeff Beck, right? Blow by Blow. Yep. Right? Yep. It's that seminal album for Jeff Beck. So Steve Morse was also kind of in that category of like, dude, this is, this guy is not messing around and he's not, yeah. he's not style over substance either. Like, because you have a lot of guitarists who are like that throughout, you know, rock history, where it's like, okay, you can Mm -hmm. shred, like, but like, do you have any nuance? Do you have any real musicianship? Like, what are you doing that's actually kind of under the surface, right? And like, Steve Morris is that guy. And you can tell on this record, like, yes, he's playing fast, but it's not not all just fast notes. Um, And as we were saying, uh, with their, their musical influence, there's a lot of landscape that they cover musically here, too, to where he's he's incorporating a lot of different styles and you can tell that i think it comes out of a source of appreciation a, a sense of appreciation for all this yeah different types of music and i really admire that about this guy so again i had heard the name like we talked about earlier but i didn't really know and just like giving this record a few listens alone even none even just this one single record uh you can tell that the guy is and and all of the musicians really very well-rounded musicians. And I think that's one thing that I would put on this kind of music, or maybe this record alone, but probably the Dixie Dregs in general, is, and, and we'll get into this with reviews in a second, it is musicians' music. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's super easy to say, but I don't think it's alienating. And that's what's weird, because most of the time, musician I can't speak today, musicians' music is is very alienating and it, it or it can be i don't mm-hmm. think this is anyways we'll get into that we'll get into that but i just wanted to to kind of give a little pretext to all this okay so the reviews yes not as well known as some of our others on prog archives there were only 208 ratings as opposed to some of the other records we've reviewed that have like over a thousand and all that um wow so but on prog archives out of those ratings it has an aggregate score of 4.18 stars out of five um but uh you know part of that might be difficult because well they may not have as many ratings specifically on like a prog rock website because 
it, like I, I don't know if you would just slap the label prog rock on them easily you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you're the people who are going to prog archives are listening to genesis and dream theater and steven wilson and some of these big names in that genre this is they're kind of hard to just pin down as prog rock but they they they're like the elements of it are undeniably there and that's why we're covering it on the show and we'll get into that in a second but anyways that may be a reason why it's not as popular so 38 percent of people gave it a perfect score 42 percent gave it a four out of five so 80 percent of people i who rated it think that it's pretty great one reviewer who, who gave it a sterling review um And I really like this. He said, what's great about Steve is that he crafts incredible songs and dazzles listeners with his skill without the benefit of conventional solos. Take it off the top, ice cakes and night meets light display a variety of styles without ever yielding the floor to Steve. And this next sentence I really loved at all times, Rod, Alan, Andy, and Mark are as much in the forefront as he is. This album is a classic, not just of fusion, but of instrumental rock everywhere up there with Jeff Beck's Blow by Blow, as I alluded to earlier. Um, Another five out of five review said, this album is a pristine example of the fusion subgenre, combining elements of symphonic rock, bluegrass, jazz, and funk. Whilst it would be easy for these variances in style to result in a juxtapositional discontinuity, the album actually flows brilliantly with an underlying Southern rock feel to it. There is so much going on here that it's impossible to fully appreciate given only a couple of listens. And yet Mm. it's also instantly accessible. So that's what I was saying earlier. I think this is very listenable, very accessible. And I'll tell you what, Mm -hmm. now this, this might be a little divisive here. What I'm about to say, this kind of reminds me of Dave Matthews band in the sense, in the sense that there's a lot of stuff going on in a lot of Dave Matthews stuff. But it's still very accessible, assuming that you don't hate his voice. I know that's kind of a divisive thing. Some people really can't stand his voice. I like it. I love it. Um, but some people don't. But particularly when you're looking at stuff with like his drummer, Beaufort, Carter Beaufort, you know, yeah. uh, he's doing some really crazy stuff in the background, but he doesn't overshadow the other instruments and he still maintains a groove. And I think that's a big thing is that my main point is, is that Dave Matthews Band and Dixie Dregs, especially on this record, they're both very, very groovy like there's some complicated music stuff in there and and dixie drags don't give me is is un, undeniably much more complex than dave matthews songs but dave matthews also incorporates a lot of really interesting uh musical mechanics i would say mm-hmm. to his music well they also well. have vocals too so yeah no you're totally right you're totally right that's a huge element there yeah absolutely um but anyways both of these types of music they they manage to make the listener tap their foot and swing their head um and that's not easy to do while still calling it just musicians music wow man you can tell i didn't get very much sleep um man we're not doing well all right this is another great review sorry we'll, we're, we'll yep. wrap up in a second here but it, on all music oh, this is good reviewer daniel i don't know how to pronounce this last name um joffre Nice. I don't I'll know. take it. Thank you. Yeah. Gave it an gave absolutely it a, glowing it review. Um, he gave it a score of 4.5 out of 5. And after reading this, I was like, why wasn't it 5 out of 5? You love this. Um, <laughs> he says, calling the Dixie Dregs a fusion man doesn't really do them justice. Granted, their music is full of complicated forms, jazz-influenced improvisations, and heavy rock attitude of the genre. But the Dregs also incorporate country, folk, and classical elements into their compositions. Although there is more than a little of the 1970s fusion of Jeff Beck and the Mahavishnu 
wow, Mahavishnu Orchestra in their music, and especially on this record, the Dixie Dregs transcend these genre limitations so well <laughs> that they might as well be performing in a different idiom. On What If, Man. their finest Dang. album, he says it's their finest, Steve Morse and company breathtakingly illustrate their peculiar musical vision. As per standard operating procedure, Morse is the primary composer and the chief sonic architect. He is blessed with some of the greatest technique in rock guitar, and he utilizes every facet of it. Whether burning unison runs with violinist Alan Sloan, chunking heavy palm-muted lines along with bassist Andy West, or playing impressively contrapuntal, classically inflected nylon string guitar. Morse also has a very distinctive composing voice, and this shines through on seven of the eight tracks. The strongest moments on What If are Morse songs that incorporate a more folky influence into the fusion, such as the almost straight-up country of Gina Lola Breakdown. Also impressive mm. is West's, uh, yeah, West's uh, Ione songwriting, sorry, loan. Wow. Also impressive is West's loan songwriting contribution, Travel Tunes. This song lives up to its name by moving between melodies apparently derived from British folk music, angular fusion grooves, a Caribbean sounding <laughs> interlude, and straight up rock and roll. The fact that the Dixie Dregs do this is a credit to their creativity. The fact that it works is a testament to their musicianship. This is music without labels, emotional and logical at the same time, passionately played and immaculately conceived. It is worth every penny. But it's a 4.5 out of 5. But only, yeah, yeah. You gotta shave yeah, off half. You can't, yeah, Nothing's you perfect. Can't shoot. No, no, of course. No, no I, I think, yeah. uh, I think with uh, all of the comments about Steve Morse, um, I think he covered that in that review very well with the different styles, the different facets, and the different kind of angles he takes while he's playing on this record, all within 40 minutes of music. Like, it's it's not a very long record. Yes. And I do think that, that uh, and we're both not guitar players, so we can't speak directly from this perspective, but um, if you're a guitar player and you like fusion music, this is an album oh, to listen to. Absolutely. This is an album that you need to listen to. And... I think they they kind of have their own brand of fusion. Yeah. It seems like. Like they've almost kind of like this bona fide genre of jazz that that they've like like jazz fusion, you know. And I was actually I did just a second uh just did a a quick research on just the the time period. It's not strictly a jazz fusion record because there are other elements, but there is like the funkiness of it and and a lot of these um a lot of these songs, but you know, heavy weather by, uh, yes. weather, weather report, report was 77. So just a year before this, you know, um, you have unorthodox behavior brand X. That, yep. was, 70, brand X. that was 76 Pat Metheny group. That Pat was any group was 76, 78. Yep. Well, the Pat Metheny group is 78, I think. Oh, was it 78? Yep. Oh. Asia 77. I mean, we're right around the same time. Yeah, there, there's just yeah, like so Jocko, got a lot of Jocko's jazz, fusion, uh, jazz record. Rock. Yeah, 76. So the thing is, though, and this is what's so unique about the Dregs and so unique about this record is that those other records that I just mentioned, um, and I've heard most of those, are stri strictly leaning heavy into the jazz fusion. You know what yes. I mean? Like it's no, very it's strictly jazz fusion. And this yes. has like the country folk thing going on to it. And it has some of that yes. stuff going on. And that's yes. what, I think that's what made this, uh, this album very exciting to me. 
uh, when yes. we were getting ready to cover it was like, I have never heard this before. I've never, we've never actually introduced country bluegrass folk music besides, yes. besides like Genesis and besides Steve Howe. Yeah. Yeah. And even then it's English folk, which is a little bit different little than bit an different. American folk. Oh, and this is an American group. Yes. So shout out to the fellow American group here, Murica, right? Yeah, here we go. Shoot. Yeah, that's unreal. No, we, we've only done a handful, right? Dream Theater is American. Um, you know, we've got, uh, what am I trying to say? Tool, right? They're American. Yep, yep. We've covered right? them as well. So we've covered them, but, you know, prog rock is typically an English thing. So it's really kind of cool to see this group do a lot of prog rock elements kind of with the, the virtuosity that they exhibit um, and the jazz fusion that they incorporate and some of the kind of synthesized sounds that are, are, you know, pretty prominent in both jazz fusion and prog rock, but also having, yeah, kind of like a, an American country thing rather yes. than kind of an English folk. Thing, yeah, totally. Is, it is different. But right? the other thing so, too, is that like Genesis and, and let me actually, let me use Steve Howe as example. You know, Steve Howe had influences of like yeah. Chet Atkins, right? Okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the lap picking. steel, the finger picking stuff. But yes. the rest of the bands, like, that was Steve Howe's thing. Yes. You know, that wasn't Yes's thing. It's different because this collectively right. kind of has that thing. Like, all, they all kind of help create this ecosystem of this, it, this sounds very folky country, you know, it American does. folky country, um, which again, is, is unique to the Dixie Dregs. Um, even just yeah. their name, the Dixie Dregs, like it just yeah. has, it has that, yeah, it has, it has, that feel it has a it. folky kind of it feel does. to it. Yeah, it does. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I love that. And here's the thing too. And I need to, I, this, I need to preface it with this. I do not, I'm, I live in, we're both from Nashville. I, I hate country music, like, like straight country music. I'm not a fan. I've never really been a fan. I've never you been know, a fan of like Nashville, the Nashville scene. Yeah. Okay. Bluegrass. Okay. So here's the deal. All that here's stuff. The deal. Even modern I country, mean, even more. I can't stand modern country. Well, and that's the deal. I think it's modern country. I think it's modern. I think it's coming from like Garth Brooks, 1990s era kind of stadium country sort of deal where it kind of became very vapid and, and vacuous. Like the whole like typical southern guy and i just love simple things like a cold beer and dusty boots Uh (laughs) uh-huh and like a you know like a you know what am i trying to say like a dodge ram jeep uh, not truck commercial Uh right or ford when it's built american tough you know when it's built american tough you know I mean, you know, like <laughs> that kind of stuff. But like, can you but tell I we're need from to go here? Back to absolutely. But when you like go back to, I don't know. I, I I need to like do more more research and listen to kind of classic country and classic folk and early bluegrass kind of yeah. stuff. Because to be fair, I haven't really given it the credit that it deserves. Yeah, um, I have. <laughs> So you haven't, you've given it the attention it deserves? I, I mean, I you know, being here, so like, you know, Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton, you got uh, sure. John Denver, uh, Johnny Cash. Of course, the Johnny Cash Museum is here in Nashville, right? Y- you, um, know, you know, George general, Strait. The country is yeah. not really my thing. I don't think it would ever be really like my, my thing. But I think there's some elements of like bluegrass that I really actually enjoy. Um 
there there are some elements in in country music that are really interesting. And anyways, it, it's it's super neat that that Steve Morse can can put it in here. But again, it's very accessible still. It's still it's still very groovy, um, and it still demonstrates their their again their virtuosity, their their amazing skill on each of their instruments. Yeah, I know. Isn't this cool? It's oh, also this bizarre. Is, yeah, I know it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's so weird. I love it. Anyway, yeah, uh, the violin totally adds to that. That yes, okay, is, yeah, well, that is the violin man. on this record is amazing. And here's the deal: so you've got like in in some songs, I think you would use the word "oh, listen to that fiddle play" mm. because it's it's like it's the southern rock. And in other songs, you would say. Listen to that classical violin. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, there's like two. <laughs> like there's like only there two, two styles different... to play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because you know you've got stuff like little kids on here, right? Which is this man? How this, great is like, that? Very classical acoustic guitar paired with this beautiful violin, right? Um, kind of giving giving it a more English feel to it. This, but then you've this also part got... right here totally reminds me of Sid Arthur. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like Sid Arthur. By the way, people should totally check them out. I don't even know if they're still together. I don't think they are. I don't know. We should do one of the records at some point, though. They're amazing. Sid Arthur. Check them out. Anyways. um, But yeah, so I don't even know where I'm going with this. Other than that, this record (laughs) is just absolutely... I don't, because this record doesn't know where it's going. No, it doesn't. Because it goes everywhere, but I love that so much. And like I said, like like it's, I feel like it's easy for you to to think that like they're just kind of self congratulatory. Like they're just trying to like prove that they're great musicians because like the musician the musicianship is undeniable on here. But it, but I don't get that feeling at all. This like there is a real depth to this music as well because it's just really fun. Like it just you get into it. Yeah. But, and it all comes back to the fact that like they are really great at grooving. Yes. You know, they have great lead lines that are that are sprinkled in there from all different instruments. Um yes. and they have some of the little solos. I mean, cr- listen like, to this. This is prog as all get out. I know. Listen. Yeah. So it's just great like little riffs lead and lines and yeah, all of these riffs kind of make it feel kind of yeah. proggy cuz they're very iconic yep. and they're very you know what I mean? Yep. Like, oh, totally. But it grooves. Like they have just great grooves, and it's and they can be funky. So like some yeah. of it's just straight rock. Like some parts of uh, travel tunes. Some of them yeah. is like extremely, extremely funky. Like ice cakes. You know, which kind of yeah. reminds oh, me of man. like talk. Yes. And it kind of reminds so, it kind of yes. reminds me of the jam circuit. Like stuff like yeah, that. Absolutely, it gives you a very, very funk centric kind of feel to yep. it. Yep. At the beginning, at least. But then it also kind of veers off and does a totally different thing. Yep. Like, totally. Yeah. And then and then it goes to the the uh, uh, the violin piece, you know. Yes. And then it goes straight into like this, <laughs> like you're in a a country bar or something. Like it's like this western, like the Gina Lola breakdown, which is yeah. just it's just it, it yeah, goes yeah, yeah. everywhere honestly yeah, i really do believe yeah. i don't even know why they named the album what if but it's almost just kind of like what if we did this what if, what we, if did we did that all of this what if we tried that what if yeah. we did this what if we did it all in 40 minutes 
So, well, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I, as you can tell, I think we, like, we both really liked this record. It was really, really fascinating. It's a really, really cool record. There, there are no lyrics on it, but again, even though it's kind of a you know musician's music, it's, it, to me, it's just so accessible. Mm-hmm. Like you just, it's really neat. All the different riffs that they have in there and all the different types of music that they stuff into this 40 minutes, um, I don't know. That's the thing. Now it is fast, right? I mean, like, I don't think there's a lot of variety as far as dynamics. That that's not true. Actually, I totally take that song back. by song. Song they by song, have, yes, yeah. Because you've got stuff like like the title track "What If," and then you've also got you know uh, "Night Meets Light," and both of those are kind of softer. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more solemn, in, in yep. you know, I find it interesting in that they ended the record with "Night Meets Light." The, that one's the, also like it's really kind of pretty. You've got the combination of like the violin on there too, but also the time signatures are also super weird on there as well. Yeah, still very prog. Oh yeah, as far as timing is concerned. Yep. You know who would love this record? Adam Nitty. We need to send it to him. I don't know if he's let's, ever. Let's call. Let's call him up. Let's call him up. Yeah, Adam. Hey, Adam. You want to come back for another episode? I bet you've heard this. I bet you've heard Man, this. But like, Kevin, what are, what are your uh, opinions on this? If you guys haven't heard what of Adam you? Nitty? You should go and check out episode thirty-eight when he yeah. uh, released his record called The World, the World is, is Loud. Loud. Incredible no. bass player. Yeah. Uh, it was, oh, dude. What Don't a great what a great guy. He was a great guy to talk to. So yeah. uh, shout out to Adam if you're listening to this episode. You probably know this <laughs> album, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway. Uh, you know, their, their influences are interesting. Just like the different like bands that you can compare them to. Because their, their influences, we already mentioned, like Allman Brothers, kind of a Southern rock type of feel to it. Absolutely. Okay, and then we also mentioned Mahavishnu Orchestra, yep, which was you know a jazz fusion group, very popular. Um, you know, they're kind of, I guess, frontman would be their guitarist John McLaughlin. But um, yep. Anyways, that's certainly noticeable. I can hear definitely a southern rock and a jazz fusion mixed in here, as we talked about. But also, I got a uh-huh. gentle giant feel, and maybe that's because of the violin in there, yeah, incorporated into kind of faster paced music. So I kind of got a gentle giant feel, yep. uh, but also some people mentioned a similarity to Kansas. Now this is before Steve Morse joined Kansas, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I can see that because again, the violin where, you know, Kansas was kind of a big name prog rock, you know, slash pop rock group, you know, in, in the, what was it? 1976 is when Left Overture came out, yes. right? And you've got stuff like Miracles Out of Nowhere, which is a great song, by the way. And you've got the violin on that, right? Um, yeah, you know, that's got, another great uh, album if you haven't heard that one. Yeah, you've got Paradox on Point of No Return, which is came out just yep. a, a year after Left Overture on, you know, in 1977, right? So both of those came out right before this one, which came out in 78, you know, What If yep. came out in 78. So um, so I, I don't know. I, I see Kansas. I see Gentle Giant, Mahavishnu Orchestra, Almond Brothers, Jeff Beck. You've got all of this kind of woven throughout here. Um, so I just thought those comparisons were really interesting, especially Kansas. I thought it was funny that he joined Kansas later. Yeah, I see a lot is, of similarities to their early music. But, but it's interesting too is that it's these are not callbacks to these groups. This album came oh, no, out no, no, during no. the same no, no, no. period that those other guys yes. were doing and totally. releasing records. So, um, so it's you not pick a cop- up on the influence, but it is no absolutely yep, it's it not, is a not a copy. It's not a copy of it's it. It's not a copy. It's, it is no. still its own flavor, and like absolutely. I said, almost like this their own little bona fide yeah. genre on, on like you know jazz yeah. genre thing that's going on. Um, Hundred. Hundred percent. I did want to uh, uh, 
bring uh, into the light some history on sort of the progressiveness of country music. I wanted to uh, kind of touch on this a little bit, if you're okay with me diving into that. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, whoa. Uh, <laughs> and the, because we've been talking about the, you know, and we've talked about jazz before. We talked about some of the Canterbury stuff. You know, we did Mood Madness by Camel. We talked about it when we did The yeah. World is Loud with Adam Nitty. But the country stuff is, besides Steve Howe and the folk, the English folk stuff, we've never really covered anything like that before, I don't think. And so I figured it would probably be nice if we if we did a little bit of i gave a little bit of history on this as i please did do some research please so, do uh late 1960s early 1970s you know mainstream country was dominated by that nashville sound and the rock influenced bakerfields uh bakersfield sound artists like merle haggard for one mm-hmm. i won't give like massive list or anything but a new generation of country artists started to emerge and they were more influenced by the contemporary rock music the singer songwriters like bob dylan and yes. and the progressive politics of the 1960s counterculture. So right, right, there right. is a radio station. I this is this kind of blew my mind a little bit. A radio station uh, called KOKE FM, which was in Austin, Texas. Um, if you're not familiar with Austin, Texas, the South United States. Um, so it's I mean it's it's like the brewing ground of of country music essentially. They introduced a progressive country music format during the 19 the early 1970s and continued to feature progressive country music that's what they labeled themselves as a progressive country music radio station i was like hmm. wow by the mid 1970s progressive country artists entered the mainstream usually in the form of like cover versions by other artists but progressive country music also provided the basis for stuff like outlaw country which was a little bit more harder edged more rock oriented variant that became very successful in the late 1970s, as well as stuff like cowpunk artists in the 80s and through today. And this is exactly when the Dixie Dregs started to emerge uh, because they were founded in 1970. This album came out in 1978. So I started doing some research on Southern prog rock, Southern United States prog rock, right? And some names came up. Some people had some thoughts because um, the question was like, who was really the one that kind of carried the torch of the southern the progressive country music or maybe some of the southern prog rock there's not really an answer but i'll throw out some thoughts that i found online of some people um so one of the bands that for, that came up that i found to be incredibly interesting was leonard skinner yeah do i find them to, they have uh you know I, I started doing some research and i started seeing that they had some maybe a few proggy proggy pieces like that smell um or uh needle needle and spoon <laughs> Ooh, that smell yeah <laughs> like needle yeah. and spoon um stuff like that other other bands uh the charlie daniels band so have you ever heard of the album called fire on the mountain you ever heard that record mm, no no um there's a uh, there's songs like uh in america other songs called feeling feeling free um other bands uh that were mentioned were molly hatchet heard of that band before um they had a uh, album called fall of the peacemakers uh, or songs uh and edge of sundown which have some prog elements people are just kind of throwing it's like "Ah, i could see a little bit of this but the general favorite the general favorite were the allman brothers the allman brothers band Yeah, yeah yeah um so like fillmore uh songs like the whipping post mountain jam um they were 
seem to think that the ties of the Allman Brothers and the Dixie Dregs, it's kind of like there's a toss-up between the both. There are other people who are saying, it's like, yeah, we got some different elements and stuff like that. But in the arguments that I was seeing online and discussions and, and research, uh, those were kind of the two. Dixie Dregs and the Allman Brothers were kind of the two that were. And I think I actually think that they knew each other as well. I actually think that the both of those yes. bands knew each other. And so uh, Steve Howe, we mentioned him a minute ago, of Yes, was super influenced by Chet Atkins. Um, right. And he delivers that kind of unique Southern flavor to the band instrumentally. He didn't really do that lyrically other than his contribution, which I asked if you knew this song, Abilene uh, on no. their, on their tornado. They're from the tornado period. It was the B oh. it was the B side of don't kill the whale. The single. I, I yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know Had any of this stuff. No idea. Uh, I was like, Oh, okay. I didn't know that he contributed lyrics, but anyway, um, that's really funny. But, uh, you know, I started doing like some of the some more research into the sort of into the modern age. And I found this album. I told you about it a, a, a couple of days ago. I would recommend man, we're, I'm sending out a lot of recommendations for records today. It's fine. Sid Arthur world is Adam. The all, all of these things. But um, but you got to check this out. Casualties of Cool by Devin Townsend. I've been I have been ripping through this record i don't know if you've heard any of it yet have you have you gotten a chance to listen to i did it? i heard some of it it's very ambient so yeah right so it's it's very spacey yeah yeah and yeah. it had some of the it's folky, cool. some of the folky earthy very kind of yeah 100 percent. yeah 100 yeah. you can hear the country kind of yep uh, especially the the rhythm right the bass lines and the the yes. the drum lines and it's very soft drums not this big raucous loud bombastic drums they're, they're more subdued yep Right, yep. uh, which is interesting for Devin Townsend, right? Because I was kind of kind of blown Romanian. away by that. I was kind of blown uh, away by that, to be honest with you. I was like, if there's anything that is country folk prog, like this is, I would say this is it. It kind of reminds me of like a more, um, a more proggy version of like Raising Sand with Robert Plant and uh, Allison Krauss. Have you heard that record? I haven't. Is that part of Plant's solo career? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, haven't heard I think it came out in like 2007, stuff. but it's like it's like yeah. very bluegrass yeah, yeah, yeah. country that Robert Plant did from Led Zeppelin. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it has some of those vibes, except like proggier. There's more of like Devin Townsend's like manic sort of weird Roger Waters kind of feel to it. But then this uh, Shay Amy Dorval, I've never heard of her before. But just a beautiful voice. Anyway, she's got a great voice, beautiful yeah. voice, and so, um, and and that record came out in Heavy Devi Records in 2014. So it's like something that's a little bit more modern. So, yeah. um, yeah, there it other, is neat. It is neat. Yeah, it's 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 a different type of prog prog rock. Hundred percent. Sort of it seems more kind of like art rock ish. Yeah. Whereas the prog rock definitely definitely shows a bit more. The I guess the 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 fusion of, of kind of Southern country into, to what if by the Dixie drags mm-hmm. is more, um, uh, virtuosic in nature, yes. you know, yeah. like, like it's, it's definitely country, but like Gina Lola breakdown is still, it's very fast. Like it's, yep. a, it's, you know, that's hard to play. Yep. It's a very quick song. And you know, you've got like, I mean, crud just in the piano in there, kind of that ragtime music, but at a very fast tempo. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you know, the, the banjo that you hear, Morse playing in there it's it's played very quickly all these individual notes so whereas the stuff with Devin um yeah on casualties of cool is um it's it's just it's a little bit 
less mm-hmm. uh, less quick and it's more artistic. It's very ambient yep. and like those elements of prog rock come in there. Yep. Yeah, there's not a lot that I think of with combining Southern influence, you know, so- American Southern or, or country inf- musical influence into prog rock. But the one before I kind of listen to this, somewhat is is uh the Moulets in their early career with kind yeah. of their earlier records. They yes. have kind of a folkish kind of feel to them, right? Yep. Where you've got kind of a you know you still got the cello and everything, but you've also got the violin, the fiddle, and like acoustic guitar. It's very simple kind of stuff. Before they, you know, in some of their later records, they started doing more synthesized sounds. Yeah, uh, which is re- uh, you know really cool, but. Uh, the early stuff is is a bit more country ish. Yep. Folkish. Yeah. Shout out to uh episode forty four, Preternatural. It's a fun little yeah. it's a it's fun a record. record. Yeah, fun record. How did he... man, sorry. Sorry everybody for all of the recommendations. Yeah, mm. how dare you give musical recommendations on a music show? I know. Destined. Sorry. So many of them. The thing that the thing that gets me though is the keyboards. You know, if they had no keyboards, if they had no keyboards, just think of okay. just how this band sure. would sound. But right. man, that guy is ripping it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something about the the sounds that this guy was using on this record was very pleasant to me. Like it it fit um within the landscape of the album. Like there, there, there's a very particular kind of style in each one of these songs. And I just find it, it was a very small little element that I noticed that was something that I really appreciated was this doesn't stick out. Sometimes. And sometimes I just, I don't know. Sometimes people use these keyboard sounds that are just a little too, like a little too much for me. Yes. I don't know how to describe what's that. Weird, other than that. What's weird. No, I get what you're saying. What's weird is that I feel like isolated like before, if I if I were composing this music, and then I was like, let's put this this synthesizer sound in here, my initial thought would be like, that's gonna be too much. That that's gonna be too much. Mm. But it's weirdly works. Like on its own, I hear that synthesizer sound, and I'm like, that wouldn't work with the rest of this music. Mm-hmm. But it does. It's really bizarre. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, one of those weird like flavor combinations. Where you're like that that really shouldn't work. But it does. Like I know. if you've ever had like Chicago popcorn, like Garrett's mix of the of the Chicago mix of like cheese and caramel popcorn. Yep. That is delicious. And it shouldn't work. Cheese and and, and, and caramel, that should not work. But it does. <laughs> but it does. And that's kinda how it is here, where I'm like, I hear some of these synthesized sounds, and to your point, Dustin, like part of me would be like, that is so synthesized. Like it's, it's very kind of futuristic and kind of newish and, you know, produced that like it wouldn't work with some of the rest of these, these kind of more natural sounding instruments, but it, it does. And mm-hmm. the violin in there too, like that, that kind of gives it a, a more uh, organic feeling. And then when you add these synthesizers and you like, again, if I were making this music, I'd, I, I would probably beforehand be like, mm, that's going to be a little too much. That, that's probably not going to work. Let, let, let's find another sound yeah. to go with this. But it, it just works. It's very, it has that synthesizer. I don't know. I'm maybe thinking of the, I think it was synth, uh, or sorry, Odyssey that we had listened to just a second ago. It's, 
kind of bizarre it that is. it works the way it does. And there's a lot of different types of s synthesized sounds on here. There's a lot of different keyboards. And I think that's something that also to me was like, that's very prog rock. Like you've got a lot of different keyboard sounds. You've got the organ at the yes. beginning of like, take it off the top, start out the record. But then you get into stuff, yeah, like an Odyssey or Crud and even like Ice Cakes. Like, Anyways, yeah. Anyways, and travel tunes. Like you've just you've got a lot of different keyboard sounds in this record, and it it just it fits really well. I, I don't know. Let me ask you this: Is this album more accessible than "Grow" by Chan? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think so? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because as much as I really enjoy Chan and kind of their their math rocky type of deal. They, you know, they, they have that kind of self-congratulatory kind of vibe in the music, whether they mean to or not. And like we've talked about it on the Chan record, like the, the drummer overplays. He way overplays. Um, I don't feel like that with this drummer. I think he's doing a lot of really crazy stuff. But like, listen to this right now. You've got the ride still going, right? You've got some interesting syncopation, like where he's placing the snare, right? He's doing, I think, out on the E of the three. One E, any two E, any three E, right? So, right? Got real, but it's still funky. Mm -hmm. And you're still kind of maintaining the groove and it's not overshadowing any other instrument. This group is bizarrely balanced. I think that's a good phrase. Bizarrely I'm balanced. I'm, speaking of self-congratulatory, uh, that was a great <laughs> phrase, Drew. No, good. it's bizarrely balanced. It really, like some of the stuff you're like, individually, this is just so, this is a lot. This is really cool. And you can dissect a lot of stuff. Like there's a lot going on with this one solitary instrument. But it doesn't, it doesn't neglect the rest of the group. Yeah. Listen to this. This just has a groove to it. It still just comes back to the testament of, of these lead lines are, are catchy. Like they're catchy. And, and it's exactly what you would want instrumental music oh. to be right not just this this you know vomit of notes right. but there's right. there is just stuff that you can latch onto, and then stuff that yeah. just makes you think and then yeah. you know there's so there's this tie of like oh this is cool i can group yes. this oh this is weird it takes take some time for me to get into a headspace be like what's happening here like what's going on but there's usually usually a consistent pulse that you're able to right. latch onto. And that's one thing too. Like, not to say that this album is 100% flawless because I think it, it would be nice if like you had, th this album is kind of devoid of really smooth transitions. Like you, you're going from like a riff to a different riff, to a totally different feeling, to this, to that. Um, I never got a sense of it being too jarring per se, but if you sit down and think about it, there are other bands that kind of transition between one mood that is pretty different from another mood pretty well, pretty like smoothly. Like they, there's a way they kind of transition between those really well. And we had talked about that, I think, particularly on our Riverside album, yep. the, you know, um, Shrine Trying New Generation Slaves. Yeah. So anyways, so, so, I mean, but, but to me, I'm like, but that's very prog rockish. Like a lot of prog rock groups just kind of go from cool mood and cool riff to another very well, or not very well, um, very quickly. They don't necessarily transition super well, but it's still an awesome song, yep. you know, like it's just, it, it's better when groups can transition really well. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> no, it, but it, prog it, rock it, is kind of notorious for just doing like riff to another riff to another riff. Yeah. And you kind of forget sometimes how much artistic quality can be added into transitions. 
with some of this stuff, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of repeating of different sections. The forms of some of these songs um, don't return back to uh, sections a lot. Um, in fact, I think there's only one time on this record where, where one section comes back three times, which would be like a typical song. That would be right. like a typical verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, outro. You'd have yeah. three choruses. I don't think there's a single time on this record where there's, there is a moment where there are three individual, right. like one section played three times in one song. But yeah. the other thing too, and this is part of the reason why like some of Dave Matthews, you brought up Dave Matthews, but some of Dave Matthews live stuff kind of bothers me is because it goes on for way too long. Yes, I agree. I agree. Totally. But this is just a perfect, like these, these aren't nine minute instrumentals. Not every single song. These are, these are concise and, and it's 40 minutes long. And I get, t I get tired after listening to 50 minutes of yeah. instrumental music. That's just going haywire yeah. and all over the place and stuff like that. So like, it's the perfect length for an album like this. 100%. Yeah. 100% agree yeah. on that. So, yeah. Um, we've been talking a lot about like the kind of the rhythms and stuff like that. I, you want me to go through my, my travel tunes rhythmic analysis? I do. Yeah. I was listening to the song and I was like, I'm having a hard time kind of placing the, the beats on some of the stuff and counting some of the stuff. Granted, I didn't like actually make like a concerted effort to do that. <laughs> but I was, I was, I was in the car and I was like, usually I can like, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, you're, a little bit better with rhythm than I am, but I'm still fairly competent because I have to be as the bass player because I lock in with the drums. True. So um, I'm not, you know, I, I, I know. I did my best. <laughs> I know, but I was in the car. I wasn't really thinking. I was also driving, but I was I just, it just like travel tunes stuck out to me. I was like, this is, where are they? What? <laughs> yeah, what's happening? Like it made my head turn, right? Yeah. And so I was like, Destin, uh, you should break this down. You should do a rhythmic analysis. So, yeah. uh, well, here, let me give, let me go through our, our rhythmic. This is the travel tunes, rhythmic analysis, man. I should have created an intro for this or something like a fun little segment what intro. Is, yeah. What's going on? I don't know. Anyway. Um, so I will, I, I'll try and walk through that. There's each of the sections last long enough to where I think you're able to catch on. So I'll play the song and then I'll talk over, over the track. Um, okay. And trying to walk through what's happening at each one of the sec at each one of the of the sections of the song. So, um, all right, you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. All right, so let me go ahead and give the intro. So the A section. Um, so there is an A, B, C, D, E, and F section in in this song. Um, the only section that returns is B. So the form of this song is A, B, C, D, E, B. F. That's the form of this of this track. The A section is uh, in four four around one hundred and eighty five BPM. This is my first note. This album is not to a click. Makes this even more impressive. So here we go. This is uh, Travel Tunes, the fourth track on the album. Uh, one of my top three favorites, I think. Besides like Ice Cakes, I think I love that track and Odyssey. Those are those are the three that, that stick out to. I think both of us, as we mentioned, or we were talking about that earlier. So um, here we go. Travel tunes. So the first section. This is in four four around one hundred eighty five BPM. The accent hits come on the ants. Right. Four one two three four. Gun gun. Uh, so 
those accents come in on the ands there. The B section comes in here in just a moment, and this is in 15-8, which is a compound time signature of eight and seven, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, right? So yep. everything is an ish because there's no click, right? It shows you how tight they are. The next section, this is still in 15-8, right? There was one bar of 4-4 to transition this around 98 BPM or so. But it's a fun little groove. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So, nice little solo that's going on top of this. The guitar riff is really cool. And the drummer is kind of playing with these skips and such. The breakdown, um, after the solo ends is still in 15-8. So you'll be able to count that part too as it's going through. So um, I'll come back to the B section and talking about these quarter note hit Tom hits that he's playing. It's really interesting. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. Right, so this is in four, four. There's a push that happens. So right here at that section, there's a push. It's still 4-4, four, four, but the accent's now on the ands. And then it'll come back say, to like the, the one. Upbeat. Yep. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, flip, one. Right? So it goes right there. It's still keeping the same 4-4 four, four time signature, but it's just pushing an eighth note to make it feel like it kind of jumps a little bit. Three sets of triple and eighth note fills, E section, 4-4 four, four, the entire time. This is just the straight rocker part of the song um, with the guitar solo. So yeah, around 95. Pushes, though, too. Do what now? With the pushes too though, yep. so it's a 4-4 four, four, but you get. Yep, yeah, they, they, they are, they have a ton of syncopation that's happening in their music. So there's not a Lots lot of, of things that are happening just on the beat. It's a very jazzy thing to do. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Super fusion thing to do. And very kind of a jam bandy thing to do as well. So um, so the end of this will sound interesting as it goes back into the B section. The, the B section that we've heard already. It sounds like a ritenuto, or which is a, a sudden slowing down of tempo to transition the section, but it's actually just halftime. It's just halftime of the normal of the normal section. And the violin kind of plays this little part over it that you'll hear in just a moment as well. But this is just a great little section. It's a great jam. Oh yeah. Again, those pushes on those hits there. Yeah. Yep. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one. So right back into the 15, eight again, right? Now the thing that this section ends with the bar of five, which then goes into something that I'll have to break down when the song ends because it's too much. One, two, three, four, five. Yep, now we're in the F section, the very last section. I'm just gonna let us listen to this so that I can walk through it. This is still in 15, eight but I'll explain afterwards this is over. 
That is bizarre. And that's travel tunes. So A, B, C, D, E, B, F. Yeah, it's a really yeah. interesting form. Wow. Um, so they, they, the thing is that a lot of their transitions don't actually stay within the bar. So sometimes one of the things that they'll do, so like from the very beginning, they go they have the A section, which then flips immediately to a 15-8 section. There's yeah. one bar of 4-4, four, four, which then goes into the C section. Okay. Then the breakdown still keeps the 15-8, C sections in 15-8. And then from the... 15-8 breakdown goes to the D section, which is back in 4-4, four, four, right? Um, which is... Right? So the easiest way to count that is actually use the hit, the guitar hits as sort of the metronome. The... If you count that, he's, yep. got, he's really the one keeping the beat because there's a lot of like little percussive things that are going on that Rod's playing that are, aren't really right. hard to latch onto, which is why right. it's so important that someone in the band's giving the pulse. Here's the reason right. why Porcupine Tree works so much. It's because when Gavin's off going in freaking left field, yeah. you still have Colin playing the bass line, and he's keeping the same thing. He's keep, There right, has right, to right. be somebody who's keeping the pulse in order for someone to latch onto it. It does not need to be the drummer, though. That's what I love about no, totally. rock, rock music is that yeah. in most other music or genres of music, everybody's expecting and looking to the drummer to keep you on time. As a drummer, right. right? People are like, hey, you're you're off time. And I'm like, I'm listening to you. Like, <laughs> you're trying to listen to me. I'm trying to listen to you. Like, this isn't all falling on the drummer. Sometimes the other other musicians in the band can keep the time. And so uh, so I love that little section because Steve is really the one that's like given the pulse. He's giving this very consistent strikes of these guitar chords. Um which then, from that D section, there's one bar of three with three sets of triplet eighth notes, right? Right, and it goes into the E section, um, which is the four-four straight rocker, and then the B section yeah. comes back to fifteen-eight, but then it ends with a bar of five. So th their transitions are just weird, right? So it sounds like, oh, yeah, the transitions are just weird there. Then it goes to the F section, which begins with three bars of 15-8. So the thing is, though, is it has the dun, 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 yeah. dun all that stuff's going on. So it's still 15-8, but what makes it so weird is that the keys are striking those in a consistent dotted eighth note pattern, which is just three sixteenth notes. Just think of it that way. So one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, bum, 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 dun, 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 right? Yep, yep, yep. So he's playing dotted... Huh. He's playing dotted eighth note pattern over 15-8. That's what makes it so bizarre. But so a dotted eighth note pattern very uh, easily fits into three um, because it's three sixteenth notes. So if you're playing in something like if you're playing in six eight, it's very easy to play. Check out cheating the polygraph. Like the the uh, bass player is playing in seven, Colin's playing in seven, but then Stephen Wilson's playing in six. Um, and Gavin Harrison is playing 7-8 with his uh, kick drum and his snare, and he's playing dotted eighth notes on the ride bell. That's just a really good place to start if you're wanting to hear that that rhythm um, because it's every third, it's every three sixteenth notes. So they play three bars of 15-8. So if you go 15-8 times three, if you know the math on that, 45, 45 divided by three, 
It's 15. Yeah, that's 15. It fits yeah. into it perfectly even. So it's just kind of, it's a mathy kind of thing. Like it is kind of a Chon thing to do um, or a math Rocky thing to do. The thing that makes it kind of chaotic though is that Rod is playing his drum solo in 15 8. Yeah. So he's still keeping the 8 and the 7. If you go back and listen to this section, the crash hits hit on the one, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, boom. Like he'll hit those crashes on those while the keys and the organ and stuff is playing on those dotted eighth notes. That's what makes it kind of a little chaotic. The very end of it yeah. though, um, is I'm pretty sure it's one bar of four, four. And then the last hit is on the 16th note before the two. So it'd be the one D and a, uh, if you're counting 16th notes, um, I didn't get that complete. I don't know what it looks like on paper. Like I'm assuming that it was just a feel thing, but it seems like right. they're landing on the one D and uh, so one D and uh, that's where they hit that last chord, that last crash hit. So I love the, uh, the dotted eighth notes thing that's going on, um, which kind of gives Rod like a little fun moment to shock the crowd a little bit. It's like, what is he doing? Like, what is he playing? Like it's, it sounds really cool. Um, but that's kind of the overall rhythmic analysis of it. So the cool thing is that it's only two time signatures the entire time, four, four and 15, eight. And they yeah. always, every time they play 15, eight, they always follow the same compound time signatures of eight and seven, eight and eight plus seven, right? And 15, right. eight. Right. So interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of what's going on in that song. Now I, I did do a, a further kind of question that I asked myself. And because why do a rhythmic analysis of a song just to be like, oh, that's like an interesting, fun fact. But I don't want it to make a fun fact. Um, this could You could actually take a listen to this song and you can implement some of the things that are happening in your own music. So if you're a musician, it's like, what could I what could I take from the Dixie Dregs? What could I take from travel tunes and implement into my own music? The, one of the first things that I wrote down was in that D section. Um, if you've never messed around with changing accents but keeping the same time signature, that's some, that is a super Dixie Dregs what if thing to do. Um, they do this several times on the record where they're playing the same time signature, but they just change the accent. So if right. you're playing one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. Four, right. Yes. So it's yeah. it's uh Gavin Harrison does this once again a lot. Um he does this and where we're pushing we're pushing notes, we're we're keeping the same time, but we're just accenting maybe an eighth note. You can accent a sixteenth note, um, you can accent something like that. You can push ahead or you can drag behind a note and and everybody can follow the same pattern. So it just kind of pulls the rug out underneath people and everybody's kind of like, whoa, what's going on? It's a really cool yeah. element to where that section lasts for about 45, 50 seconds of the song. So what okay. makes it so fresh is that they're playing all the, they're all playing the same thing. It's just really that solo and some of the lead lines and stuff like that. And then they change. But I love the fact that they didn't like change a lot of the melodies. They just changed the time. So they didn't feel this massive pressure to like, oh, we got to write a different section. We got to go from a D section to a different section. No, they just, they extended that period, but they, they just kind of push the time a little bit to give it a different feel, which is difficult to do sometimes as well, especially when you're writing just instrumental music, because you want to have time to allow your instrumental sections to flesh out and you yeah. want people to latch onto them, but you don't want them to last yes. too long because too then long. they get yeah, stale. Yeah. 
So exactly. you can throw in little tiny tricks like this um, to yeah. to improve, not maybe not improve, but just to add some a fresh perspective to some of the music and kind of take the, the listener into like a, whoa, what just happened kind of thing. And, and now yeah. it sounds interesting again. The other thing is compound time signatures. They do this a ton. 13-8 for Odyssey, which is a yeah, combination really cool. of, I think it's seven and, well, what is it? Yeah. Seven and six? Yes. I believe that's yes, what's yes. going on. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so compound time signatures are always uh, super fun. If you've ever messed around with the, the compound time signatures in, uh, in some of the music that you're doing, of course, you could say it's like, well, why, why isn't this music in five, four Destin, right? Because 15, eight could be broken down into five, four. Yeah. But the phrase, the, the musical phrasing doesn't last five beats. It lasts 15. Right. So yeah. like, could you count five, four over this music? Yeah. But that's not the entire length of the phrase, like the, the phrasing that they're writing for the riffs and stuff like that. And what Rod is playing is eight and seven. He fits that eight and seven. You could count five, five and five if you wanted to, but the accents are going to fall in weird little areas. So it's just easier to keep in mind the fact that, oh, it's like every eight beats, there's going to be an accent. And then every eight, seven, there's going to be an accent. So yeah. you can mess around within compound time signatures and change the accents, which Rod does in certain moments on Odyssey. Like in 13.8, he's usually playing the seven and the six, but then at some point in the song, he plays six and seven. So he puts the accent on the seventh beat rather than the eighth beat. So, I mean, there's all kinds of different things. Like It's really just the syncopation. These guys are masters of syncopation. Like they're playing yeah. things on the ands, they're playing things on the 16th, the e's, the uhs, whatever if you're counting one yeah. e and uh two e and uh if you're counting all of that so um anyway i'm getting long-winded here and talking about this but this is just some of the stuff that like you can pick up on that really kind of creates the dixie dregs sound maybe not strictly the dixie dregs sound but at least this album at least what if there's just a lot of that stuff that's that's going on within the music and it makes it fun fresh and exciting and it's not too long so it's just enjoyable. It's just an, it's an enjoyable listen. Um, but it's really cool. It's very intentional. Like I can totally see a lot of these different things being like they intentionally did this. This isn't self congratulatory. Huh. This is right. like well this this is <laughs> this section is going to get too stale. Maybe we should try and mix it up a little bit without just going bizarre. It's like oh we could just go from fifteen to nineteen right here, and now all of a sudden we're playing Hell's Bells by Bill Bruford. It's like there's no need to just completely flip the time signature if you want a different feel obviously in the music so it's just fun how they're messing around with some of the syncopation and stuff like that so anyway so that's that is there anything else that you wanted to cover about this record anything else that you wanted to talk about there's a lot you can always talk about this record which is kind of why i love it it's so eclectic and just every single song has so much packed into it mm -hmm. yeah it's a what, what's the what's the term the term that you had the biz, bizarre what is bizarrely it? balanced bizarrely yeah. balanced that's great. Oh, I have I do have one uh, little fun fact for you before we if we uh getting ready to close. Dream Theater. Yes. I was like yeah, they covered this is what? This is the, yeah. uh, that's that's a cool little fun fact. But yeah. they covered they, Odyssey yes. on the special yes. edition of uh the Black tenth, tenth studio lines. albums. Yeah, Black Clouds and, yes. and Silver Lining. So 
um, for anybody who has access to that, I don't know if that's on Spotify. Like if they have the special edition of the it's record, on YouTube. you can find it on, on YouTube. YouTube. Okay, you, you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, so it's it, yeah, and that's pretty cool. I mean, that, that especially because that's just such an obscure track. Like, I what? know. Yeah, it's like what? what? Why are they? Because I think yeah. the big okay. This is the I think Odyssey is definitely most people would say any prog fan would probably say that's the most progressive song on here. Probably mm-hmm. the most prog rock sounding. At least that's you know. Um, but I think the big one that kind of gave them a bit of notoriety was take it off the top. And maybe because that sounds more like middle America type of music, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just seems super accessible. We kind of got that chunky guitar, you know, that kind of rock slash Southern rock guitar going on there. Um, almost Bruce Springsteen ish. Yeah. Type of I can see, guitar. I can see how that song can on, slip it into a couple of Spotify so, playlists or stuff like that. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Along with some other so take stuff. it off the top was kind of the big one. So to me, Odyssey is still kind of obscure except for prog rock fans. And obviously dream theater are, but that's just really cool to me. Cause it's like, yeah. And, and of all, of all bands, Dixie drags, what? Like this is so neat. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So, yeah. Well, thanks everybody. Of course, these are our prog notes for what if, if you enjoyed the episode, if you learned something new from the episode, please subscribe. You can follow us with the link tree in the description. There you can find our Discord community, all of our social media pages, and our Patreon if you'd like to support us monthly and what we do. Also, don't forget to follow the Spotlight podcast feed that's on the link tree as, as well. Uh, we have all kinds of different interviews with prog rock bands if you'd like to hear directly from the musicians themselves and not listen to us babble. Um, before we close, through what record are we checking out? next for episode 53 it's gonna be pitfalls by leprous pitfalls by leprous i'm smiling i'm I'm smiling saying yes it's gonna be great so join us next time as we discover the past present and future of prog rock we will see you guys on discord thanks next